You're listening to Youth and Loud. The show that's the show that's quiet about the trivial things, but loud about the important things. We discuss all issues relevant to youth. If you'd like to find out more about the show or have a topic idea, check us out on Facebook and give us a shout by searching Youth and Loud. Welcome to Youth and Loud. On this episode, we're discussing how to best manage and cope with life. Um, When we're doing a tough or going through something difficult, such as mental health, um, in particular, we'll be discussing the topic of suicidality. We're joined in the studio with Matt Runnels. Um, Matt is the CEO of Mindful Oz, and we're joined as well with Darby Turnbull, who is a consumer peer support worker with Origin Youth Health. Um, hey, yeah, lovely to be here. <laughs> beautiful, thanks for coming, Darby. Um, so, guys, welcome to the show. Um, it's super cool to have you here today. Um, we're also joined with uh, Jack Misson. I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll be helping to host this episode as part of uh, the Youth and Loud team. Cool. Um, so, guys, just to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about um, yourself and what your life looks like at the moment, um, starting with you, Matt? Yeah, so uh, we're just uh, obviously wrapping up the end of the year, which has been a really beneficial year at Mindful Oz. Um, again, Mindful Oz is, for those people who don't, uh, haven't heard of what we do, it's a not-for-profit organisation based out of Melbourne here that encourages people to come out of the shadows of the surrounding stigma via self-acceptance, via stories of hope and lived experience education, teaching people the tools, strategies and um easily achievable practices and solutions to do workouts for the mind to put wellness back in their own hands so that they not only just cope and get by but they start to live healthy happy fulfilling lives so yeah we've had a really beneficial year we've done over facilitated about 130 workshops around australia in high-risk areas um, with a couple of trips to america as well amongst that and just wrapping it up now and uh looking forward to a a big 2019 Mm. Awesome. And what about yourself, uh, Darby? Yeah, well, as I mentioned before, I'm a consumer, well, as you mentioned before, I should say, I'm a consumer peer support worker for Origin Youth Health. Um, I've been doing peer support for about two years now. Uh, Origin was sort of the beginning of that for me. Um, During a really low point in my life, um, you know, I was really liking direction and focus. And, you know, this one sort of bright light was peer support, the fact that I could turn my experiences into something useful and um, I didn't even know when I was being treated at Origin that, you know, peer support was something they offered or or that it was an opportunity for, you know, young people like myself. So I began as a volunteer there, which moved into a um, part-time consumer peer support role in an adult service, which um, I worked at for 18 months. And uh, yeah, so, and I've uh, only very recently begun working at Origin as a paid employee, uh, focusing more on the post-discharge aspect of peer support. So uh, a large majority of my work is situated in the inpatient unit. Uh, so I meet and connect with people there. And uh, if they are willing and interested, and uh, I will work with them after hospital, usually for about a month, to sort of help with that transitional process. Yeah, beautiful. All right. Um, so... Uh, from your experience, uh, what are some things, I guess, that you did which helped manage and cope with your own life when you were struggling with um, suicide and, I guess, going through that? Um, if we can start with you, Doug. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, suicidality isn't past tense for me. It's something I live with uh, every day, every day of my life in varying degrees of sort of intensity. Uh, I suppose how I have learned to live with it as opposed to against it is... Uh, by learning as much about myself and what suicidality means 
and, you know, holding space to think critically about it and to think deeply about it. And um, my therapist would be very happy to hear me say this, but like learning how to be kinder to myself. And, you know, uh, I can't go into the work that I do with any kind of integrity if I'm not at least approaching myself with a little bit of empathy as well. So um, I actually find the more I go through it, the more I learn. I mean, um, a client once called her time in the inpatient unit Psych 101, which was the best description I could possibly um, think of for this kind of work because I, you know, I've been suicidal for about 13 years now. I mean, I could have an undergraduate, a master's and a PhD by now, but I, as painful as it is, I don't really regret it. And I'm, I'm glad that I can use it to make people feel less alone because you know it's an incredibly isolating experience for a lot of people and it is completely unique to every person i think that's why we have so much trouble around it because we can't construct a a consistent narrative around suicidality or you know um someone who you know is uh considering it attempting it or completing it because you know um they might not be here to tell us what that means for them and people are pushing their own interpretations of it and that is incredibly hard for everyone i suppose yeah it's comforting to sit here next to someone like darby that says all of what he just did because it's uh it's the exact same things and and the ways that i think that have got me to the place of wellness that i'm into and you talked about that self-love and acceptance for yourself and you truly can't especially in the field of work that we're both in you can't you can't be out there helping anyone else if your cup's not full and I think a big part of my wellness and, and where I'm at now and that consistent place of wellness that I'm able to be in now and this year's been just growing levels on my own well-being and the, and the resilience that I have. And that's to, and I think a big part of that is just exactly what you just said in, in compassion and that self-acceptance. And, you know, by giving back and doing the work that we do uh, is probably one of the big, big factors in, in why I'm able to be so well is being able to give use something that's been so horrific for me for so long now for, in, in hope that for the betterment of someone else. So... Um, there's purpose and I've always said true value, self-worth, purpose and belonging and without those four things life can be pretty miserable um, and doing the work of this and hanging around like-minded compassionate people you find your belonging I've got a value for who I am because I'm hanging around people that make you feel alive that are aching to see you smile again I've got purpose because I'm doing the work that I do um, and then, as I said you have you, you have those four things in life and, and things start to you find that uh, consistent rhythm um, with your well-being so uh, yeah, it's comforting to sit here and, and hear that someone else has the exact same uh, ways to wellness and the same emphasis on the few things that we just talked about that are that have led to you being well or living and finding that place of wellness the same way that I have. So, from your experience, is there anything that um, that you did that found, that you found un- unhelpful when you when you were struggling with suicide? Did you find anything unhelpful when you were uh, when you were struggling with that? Yeah, I guess just all the things that are the things that are unhelpful for me that when I was experiencing it are probably still the same things to these days, and that's a, that's people taking it for granted, or maybe being in a place of wellness that I'm in now, where people go, well, he's doing this work, or he speaks so openly and honestly about what he's experiencing, so he must be fine. Um, I think you still need that. I like you know, living with bipolar disorder and, and living through chronic suicidal ideation. Sometimes I just need those reassurances from people that, you know, I have paranoid thoughts and delusions sometimes, and to have people just reassure me that what I'm thinking or what I'm going through is warranted and that my thoughts and feelings are valid. Mm. Um, but also to show that you're, that you're, um, that you're wanted, that you're not taken for granted, that you're loved, that you're worthwhile. And something is so easy as sending a message or, or just giving someone that re- positive affirmation and reassurances, um, are some things that I, you know, I'd love to see more people doing more of, um, me included. And they're the things that I found really unhelpful was, you know, we encourage people to be open and honest about it, but sometimes, 
you know, when you feel like a burden and all the rest of it. The last thing you want to do is shout from the rooftops about what you're experiencing. Sometimes you want someone to come and knock on your door or start that conversation with you rather than for me to feel like I'm weighing people down with starting that conversation myself. So it's just more people using, you know, we all possess unlimited amounts of it and that can kindness, compassion, empathy, love and support and care. And those five and six things are forever and will always be the ways to prevent suicide. And that's just it's about checking in with people. Um, and not taking anyone for granted and you know as I always say we, we, we do this exercise when I go on stage all the time now and I ask everyone to whip out their phones and the same time it takes for us 41 seconds I'd get people to write a text message to someone in their phone anyone at random mm. and the same time it takes to us to 40 second text message to someone we love and care about yeah. is at the same time it takes for us to lose someone to suicide all around the world mm. every 40 seconds so you know, people will sit there and say to me, oh, I don't feel comfortable messaging everyone in my phone mm. and telling them how they're loved and worthwhile. And I said, well, you know, I've lost eight mates to suicide now, seven mates and um, one just not long ago. And you'd do absolutely anything to take that back and be able to send them that message. So something that's so simple for us to be able to do and do more of, and that, as I said, that empathy, compassion, kindness that we hold unlimited amounts of yeah. could be the difference in someone's life or at least positively impact or change that person's day to start spreading more of it. Mm. I guess that uh, that message would be more just touching base with someone and seeing yep. if they're okay and just checking in with them. Yep. Um, yeah, there's, like I you know, talk about things that are unhelpful, I, I just think it can be so easily managed from the people around us if we just, we can all be better people is what I'm trying to say and mm. I guess that's the things that are unhelpful because you just, people have that doubt the lack of self-worth and value for themselves like I was talking about before. So to be able to have someone check in with you rather than expect people with a mental illness to, you know, it ain't weak to speak, you know, just talk about your thoughts and feelings. It's like, well, sometimes that's the... There's a reason that that exists is because it is... You feel like a burden on people. So if people can just start to be kinder to one another and check in with us, with those people that are struggling, or anyone in particular, yeah. um, rather than uh, demanding that we go to them when we're, when we're struggling... Mm. You know, we just got to start having more um, beautiful and meaningful conversations about things and not wait for people to come to us, but, yeah. to, but to go to them. If you felt concerned about anything you've heard tonight, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 22 26 38. Lifeline on 13 11 14. I guess how can uh, friends or how can, I guess, we as a community overcome the, uh, the stigma or overcome the... I guess the hesitation people might have to do that, the hesitation people might have to check in to see if a mate is doing okay or to see how they're going. How do we overcome that hesitancy and just do it so that it becomes, I guess, a natural part of, of life, a natural part of everyday living? Yeah, and that's really important. I thought, well, we, we, I put a lot of emphasis on that conversation when I do my talks and it's, it's having that, um, I say them, but the three most important things, because people don't want to have those conversations because they're scared of the answer. Mm. They don't want to go over and ask someone, are you suicidal? Because if he says, yes, I'm not qualified as such to talk about it. But as I always tell people, the three things that I always wanted to see, hear and feel when I was struggling, and the same three things that we can do for everyone around us, yeah. the reflex, head nod. The head nod that goes, I've got no idea what Matt's talking about right now. But if mm. I nod my head up and down like this, reflex, head nod, that shows me that he's at least listening or pretends that he understands it, and it's so effective. Mm. The ears willing to listen with no intent to reply, no judgment, no criticism, no comparisons, no advice, and no need for answers. Mm. Just simply being able to have a conversation with stranger, friend, colleague, loved ones, friends, family, whoever it is, mm. to enable them to get the 
the thoughts and feelings off their chest so they're no longer suppressing them. And the discipline. The discipline um, it takes for me to live with bipolar disorder is the same discipline it takes of all of us as caregivers. And that's not checking in for one day and ticking it off and then not doing it again for another three months. Mm. It's the discipline to keep checking into people to lower those walls um, to encourage vulnerability so people can... Vulnerability is the birthplace of strength. Mm. And by going and checking in with people consistently and showing them that this conversation is normal to us and it's not not just doing it as a one-off, hey, hey, go on, are you okay? I've done my thing now, walk away. Mm. It's breaking down the, the, those walls of stigma and um, shame and embarrassment by making it a frequent conversation. And it's yeah. just those three simple things that we all can be doing that enable people to speak up and feel more comfortable talking about their thoughts, feelings and emotions. Yeah. I suppose the thing that I would add as well is humour. You know, using your shared relationship with the person because you know um big issue i have around things like are you okay day is like you know what comes after are you okay you know uh are you going to be in a place where you can actually listen and build rapport and create some mutuality around the experience that you know either you and or this other person will have i mean i found uh, a lot in my work i mean it's um my attitude towards having these conversations has evolved so much because um, you know I've never really felt that comfortable talking about my own suicidality because uh, for you know a myriad of reasons that which we'll probably go into later in this episode surrounding the culture around it it's just not talked about in a particularly effective way I mean it's all solutions based it's all sort of you know there's a as I was saying before there is a narrative around it so and I realised you know that a lot of the conversations I'd had around suicidality on suicide with uh, people in my life had been really wrong on my part, you know, and may have indeed hurt them. And I had to sort of, you know, and I was using a lot of my own self-stigma in those conversations as well. So maybe I was telling them, you know, what I would have wanted to hear or something. And maybe I wasn't listening as closely and effectively and, you know, without the nuance that I should have, you know, I was taking a lot of what was said at face value and I really should have been asking, you know, deeper and more sort of open questions and so I'm not saying necessarily that what I was doing was bad or wrong but you know it could have been so different and that's what I'm so interested in, in now is like being led by the person's you know experiences and their own interpretations of what is going on with them and you know um, letting them sort of educate me about what their experiences is if they are if they're comfortable with that. Sure. One situation comes to mind with a young woman who's actually now a colleague of mine. I'm really excited for her. Um, you know, we had a very, very long conversation about, you know, her um, her intend, um, intention to make an attempt. And, you know, no one would think about this when having this conversation, but we were cracking jokes the whole way through because, you know, we've both been there. You know, we both know what it means. Um, and it sort of helped normalise the process for both of us exactly what you just said about the normality of the conversation and however you can do that and that's why i'm a huge advocate for being as confronting as you can and being as raw and real with this conversation no sugarcoating it no tiptoeing around it talk about it for all its truths that if i ask someone if they're okay and you know this is not mocking the work of anyone are you okay today is a brilliant brilliant initiative that you know saves the lives of hundreds of thousands of people right across Australia but also around the world so this is not a shot at that but but being confronting and saying asking someone if they are suicidal Mm. rather than are you okay you are telling them that that conversation is one that you are comfortable having Mm. but if you ask someone okay are you okay and I'm feeling suicidal I'm not going to tell you that I'm suicidal I'm just going to answer your question I'm I'm, I'm okay Mm. I'm fine you open up the passage for me to lie 
and to tiptoe around it. If you ask me I'm suicidal with a direct question like that, I'd say yes or no answer. And by you saying that, Matt, are you suicidal? I go, well, he's all right talking about it, so now am I. Mm. But if by asking, are you, are you fine? Are you okay? I'm going, well, I'm not. But I'm not telling you the real truth mm. because I don't know if I say I'm suicidal how you're going to receive it. Yeah. So people are scared about that. So, again, it's just about bringing comfort to that conversation. Mm. That's by being as honest, as real as, as possible and mm. talking about it in all its truths. Mm. Yeah, and I suppose it's just important, you know, for how you hold space for yourself to have those conversations as well, you know, both for both of you. I mean, um, I find uh, a lot of what happens with people when they disclose that they are suicidal is their agency immediately gets taken away from them. You know, it becomes a problem, but, you know, um, they become a problem to be fixed. And, um, for example, in, in my experiences of having these conversations, my wishes were not acknowledged or listened to, mm. you know, um, my uh, my confidentiality was was broken. And, yeah, of course, duty of care are things that are exist for very, very good reasons. But um, I was certainly not listened to. And, you know, people I know have not been listened to. People I know have, you know, would have much rather have not had those experiences because it made them feel worse. And I think we need to be... Yeah, just I think the, the, what, I'm, what I'm going to take away more is we have to listen more. I think you've touched on um, a few really key important things um, there, Darby. One of, one of those is properly listening to someone um, who wants to open up and talk about um, suicidality and it connects with what Matt was talking about before with having that sense of empathy, um, not being judgmental, um, not seeking to give advice and that kind of thing, but really listening to that person when they share. And the other thing you mentioned was to listen to their experience. So don't listen with an intent to perhaps um, think that you know better than them. Yes. So listen to the reality of their own experience. And you mentioned before to let them kind of teach you about their own experience. Yes. And I guess just sit with them in that space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's, yeah, it just seems like such an important thing to, to do and to be aware of. Yeah, and um, I think people are afraid of that space mm. and because they assume it's going to be really dark and really scary and, you know... For me, for me, maybe because this is just the way that I move through the world. Because you know, these are my these are my everyday experiences. So you know, this is this is home to me. Um, sure. For me, they are beautiful spaces. They are mm. creative. They are loving. They are they are giving you like trust. They are giving you themselves. They are like sharing this like really integral part of yourself. And and I, I tell everyone about this when they're talking to me about. It. I'm like, oh no, thank you, thank you for telling mm. me because you know I know. You might not be feeling that about yourself right now, but I'm just going to hold that for you for a bit, mm. you know, while you're feeling this way. But, you know... Yeah. And it also takes strength to, to share that openly, to share that Absolutely. honestly with someone is, is gutsy. Like, that's a gutsy thing to do. Yeah. People are so worried about, as I said before, people are so worried about having the answers or the advice once someone says they are suicidal. Mm. But the only way to have the answers and to understand it more is to sit there and listen mm. and let them get, as you just said build that connection and that rapport where they can get everything that they're going through off their chest Mm. and from that you on the other side of fence will learn the only way you're going to learn and be more comfortable to have those conversations with the next person Mm. is by having more of them yeah Yeah. that's the best way to learn and the best way to learn is of people with lived experience that are telling you and bearing their all yeah and you will walk away from that so much better for that conversation yourself Mm. but also in dealing with the next person helping the next person out Mm. we we just so scared of 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 not being we don't think we're qualified enough or to have these conversations or to ask someone if they're suicidal 
because we're not going to have the advice or answers for them. Yeah, and for people, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm among them, and you know, um, uh, Matt said that he was among them. You know, for people who've lost people to suicide, uh, that is a intense thing to sit with. You know, what could I have done differently? What? Why didn't I do something differently? Why didn't I have the answer? Why? You know, this responsibility that we place on ourselves and. Honestly, it's a very, very real and a very raw place to be in. But I think the way to be kind and understanding of yourself in that space is to go, yeah, I I miss the person that I love. This person that I love is no longer there and I'm feeling I'm feeling their loss and I want an answer for it because you know, for all that we know about grief, because it's a it's the ultimate shared experience. Like, you know, life, death and the grief that we feel after, you know, the people that we love are no longer with us is a universal experience. And despite that universality, there is no real answer because, you know, it's different for every single person. Mm. And I'm still devastated that the people I love didn't give themselves that chance. But I'm not going to shame or blame them for it because, hell, I mean, I've been there. I felt what they were feeling. I felt a variation of what they were feeling, I should say. And, yeah, no, I, I I can't blame them. I think the easiest way that I've ever described it is you talk about if you go through an unbearable amount of physical pain, you break a bone or something, what do you what do you want that pain to do? You want it to stop. Mm. You're going through an unbearable amount of emotional pain, what do you want it to do? Stop. And that's the best way I've ever been able to try and reason with what people are experiencing with their suicidality. That's how I've always felt. Again, um, it isn't the answer. And as he said, we wish we could have them just split second more with them, that little bit of hope. And people only need a fraction of hope to continue tomorrow and it's um you know i see you with the same same um views as you i've I've lost seven mates to suicide Mm. i've got this messed up slideshow that goes back and forth through my head every single day of the faces of those that i've lost and the families that have been left devastated um and you know i'd do absolutely anything to bring them back and and have these conversations with them now and show them how beautiful and meaningful their life could have been the same way mine is now um and that's what uh, you just want to scream that from the rafters to as many people that are out there, hopefully, that listen to this and all over the world because there's so many people out there that wake up exhausted and debilitated by their mm. thoughts and feelings every single day. And like myself, I still live with chronic suicidal ideation. I think mm. about suicide all the time. Some days I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I just know it's there. Yeah. Um, and I, you just need people to understand that it does get better. And I know that's a cliche thing. But when you put the time and effort in and you work and you surround yourself with beautiful people and you start to have these conversations and get vulnerable, as I said before, it's the birthplace of strength. And, you know, I've had this, I've lived, been diagnosed for nine, ten years now and it hasn't been a ten-year fix. It's only since I've taken the onus and acceptance for my well-being over the last nine months have I really grown levels on my wellness with that discipline. So you just want to keep them there for another second. You just want to shake them and just tell them how much, you know, it's... It's not going to take you 10 years. It's not It's not this lengthy-ass process. You can learn to manage and look after yourself and get back to living a healthy, happy, fulfilling life, just like any of us do every single day with just basic strategies and practice with self-discipline that we put into place every day. And as I said, but you, know, you miss that hope and want you reverse that, that's hopelessness, and, and that's, yeah. what, that's what causes suicide. So, um, yeah, I'm, I share the same views. I just wish you could bring them back and... And just show them because, uh, you know, I struggled to see the light at the end of the tunnel for so long. But I, now, and even when I do, as I said before, I just know it's there. And that's that little bit of hope that I need every single day to push on. And know that tomorrow is another opportunity to, to have a better day or to yeah. continue. It's the work of being alive, really. Yeah. I mean, um, just it's part of the gig, really. You know, it's, you know we're just going to be working on this forever. 
And it doesn't mean they're going to feel like this forever, but you'll no. be working on it forever. Yeah. And Which is a beautiful thing because yeah. I always say like bipolar disorder and, you know, depression, anxiety that I've you know, been diagnosed with all three of them and live with suicidal, they've been my best teacher. If I, I, I mm. wouldn't, you know, people roll their eyes back and at me when I say it, but if I, someone offered me a cure for bipolar right now, I wouldn't have it because it has been my best teacher mm. and it will continue every single day I wake open, uh, wake up and the eyes open and the feet hit the ground. It will continue to teach me all the things that are necessary for me to continue and become a better person. And I'll wake up tomorrow and I've got 1,440 minutes tomorrow and I'll become a better person because of that and because of my experiences. I wouldn't have been as compassionate, as caring, as loving, wouldn't be as grateful um, if I didn't wasn't diagnosed and been through with bipolar and been through what I've been through. I wouldn't have been half the person that I am today. So it's getting people to understand that instead of trying to kill a disease or numb numb a pain that you're experiencing, it's about learning how to nurture your system mm. and find the beauty in what you're going through. And that's what I find with my bipolar is, is truly a gift because it's taught me to become the person that I am today and I'm proud of that person. If you felt concerned about anything you've heard tonight, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 22 26 38. Lifeline on 13 11 14. I guess, how have you uh, found the experiences that you've gone through um, helpful when it comes to helping other people who experience similar things that you have? This is why it's a double-edged sword. It's a win-win every single day. By me, I am absolutely obsessed with growth. I, I never have been. I never was never interested in mental illness, wellness, anything like that. And I guess that was why I was led to down the path of where I was. Now I wake up every single day, and I, you know, positive affirmations. I probably listen to two, three hours of that a day. That's that's not. Oh, I got to listen to positive affirmations. That's a. Here's my opportunity for more growth. Here's my opportunity to add levels to my wellness every single day. And as I said, a bit of the double-edged sword. I not only increase my wellness and put myself in a better place to look after others and help others, but the more that I learn and the more practices, tools, strategies and understanding and knowledge for mental wellness, mental wellness, resilience and all those practices and solutions, I'm able to then pass them on. The better I become, the better the uh, the better help I am to others. Mm. But the, the more things that I put to trial and error and therapies and different ways to um, recovery and manage my illness just goes back into others and, and mm. a, it's a win-win situation for everyone so i'm obsessed with growth and therefore the way that i've been able to help people over the last 12 months is is paramount to the work that i've been putting into myself um and i think that for me that's exciting i'm obsessed with uh doing as many things as i can for my own wellness because now it's fun it's, it's done our house to word it it's become fun mm. i'm loving seeing how well i've got and i'm there's, I just feel like there's so much more mm. to my well-being and resilience that I can keep stepping up and growing levels on top of it and it's become really exciting for me mm. waking up every day and going how good's this like life isn't easy never has been never will be mm. but it is simple I believe when you put the work in and you put the time into yourself that you deserve I say to people all the time in our audiences I go you know what do you value more in life money or health and wellness and every single 100% of the audience will say well normally will say health and wellness we put at least 40 hours a week into work to earn money. Mm. That's all we go to work for. What about we start putting 40 hours a week into our health and wellness because we value that more. And mm. I do that these days and I've just seen how easy and how fulfilling and exciting my life has become over the last nine months and I just want everyone else to recognise that too. Mm. And within themselves, as you said before, we can see the beauty in others. We can see the strength in others when they can't. Mm. It's about getting them to, to notice and, and to understand that 
they have that potential to leave, lead, lead these healthy, fulfilling lives just the same as we do now because we put the time and effort in. I have a slightly different opinion. I mean, my experiences have been horrible and most of the time I hate them, I resent them, I'm angry because I feel like... Um, I remember back when it was really bad, the first time around, I was, you know, um, halfway for a teaching degree, you know, I was going to be a teacher, that was the big plan. And um, um, I became so unwell, I couldn't continue. And I felt like, and I articulated this, I felt like I had been cheated out of my life. In relation to what you're saying, uh, with your own experiences that you've had, it sounds like you've got a really good understanding about the reality of how difficult and how dark it can be to be in that place. Yes. So when you hear someone else's story or you're having a conversation with another person who's had um, similar experiences, you, you know what it's like. And yeah, yeah, I can relate to the feeling. Just to add on to that, I guess, that it's uh, helped you to have a good sense of, of empathy when it comes to listening to other stories and to... Uh, helping other people in oh, that yeah. sense. Empathy is, is key and you know, I'll tell you something, every single person I've, you know, without exception actually, every single person I've spoken to mm. will always say oh, you know, there's someone whose experience is worse than mine, there's someone whose mm. trauma is worse than mine and, you know, I have held space for some like, horrific trauma which I I can imagine and that's the point is I can imagine it because I because they're describing it to me and I can definitely imagine it, but I can't feel what they were feeling because, you know, no one can. And it's so heartbreaking because whenever I shared my story, they would say to me, oh my God, how are you still alive? Your experience is worse than mine. And my God, look at what we do to ourselves. <laughs> you know, we go through these experiences and then we like say to someone, oh, you know, you've had it worse than me. Other people have it yeah. worse than me. My God, you know. Yeah, I'd hear it. Yeah, same, same, I do. And it, it breaks my heart when people say it to me. I, I do realise that maybe that's where they're at right now. I'm like going, you've, God, the things that you've survived and that you've endured, like, no wonder you're in hospital. No wonder you're feeling this way. You're having a very, very natural response to an insane situation. Mm. So, and I, I think that's sort of like something I like to say to people as well. It's like going, okay, like, your life has gotten to this point that you feel like it's not worth living. You know what? Fair enough. Your life has been horrific. What are we going to do to make your life less horrific? So what role does diet and exercise play in suicide or you know, mental health uh, as a whole? Oh, I definitely won't. I don't really feel authentic at the moment after the weekend talking about nutrition. But <laughs> um, in terms of exercise, that's probably the number one thing for me. It always has been, um, you know, 26 minutes of rigorous exercise a day equates to 12 hours of good positive brain health. Enough chemicals and endorphins circulated throughout your system for 12 hours of good positive brain health and I've always said to people that is a no-brainer for me if someone's going to do me that trade I know a lot of people don't like exercise and I've always said and it comes back with nutrition if I only worked out and ate properly when I felt like it I'd be the fattest laziest person you've ever met I don't love going to the gym I don't love exercising I hate it I, I hate running I hate cardio I hate eating healthy but I'm preparing myself for those bad times and those challenges and I know the difference in myself and my thoughts and feelings and emotions when I don't put that work in and when I don't eat well and when I don't go to the gym. Mm. The correlations are huge with, with wellness, with stress, with sleep, with everything to do with exercise and nutrition. There's no, more neurotransmitters in our guts these days than there is in our brain. That's, the science shows that. Therefore, we are what we eat and that's you know that was a myth for a long time but there's a lot of evidence that shows that now and what we put into our system is what we become and you don't want to feed yourself full of crap food and you don't exercise or work out and look after your body on a physical aspect 
plays a lot of it's detrimental to your overall health and wellness um exercise for me is a great outlet um when i'm feeling stressed when i can't sleep you know these are the things that i do to manage what i'm experiencing they're my outlets they're my tools on my belt that help me live and fight my wellness every single day um i always said your body's your brain's the general your body is the troops and have you ever seen a war one with with a general but with no troops mm. not a chance have you ever seen, seen a sporting team win a game of soccer or football or basketball with no players on the field and that's the same correlations or analogy with our brain and our body mm. they go hand in hand and we really have to start looking after our physical aspect just as much of our wellness mm. but in saying that the first thing that breaks down is not our physical aspect it is our brain that tells our body to stop so when you as again i just reiterate when you put time and effort into yourself exercise nutrition and all these other disciplines you start to find that level of wellness and build that resilience and things become a lot easier and simpler yeah like what really struck me about what you said matt was like that investment that investment in your own in your own health and getting to know your body getting to know your body when it feels like shit is i think just as important as getting to know your body when it feels well because like you are setting sort of um a standard for how you're going to take care of yourself when you're not doing well when i'm doing badly that's when i break out the soups that I've frozen. You know, that's when I've, you know, going, okay, I'm not very hungry, but I'm going to eat a, I'm going to eat a salad with some steamed veggies because it's at least going to give me some kind of sustenance and I'm not mm. going to go and binge later on because I feel so terrible about it. Same with uh, exercise and being active, you know. Um, you know, I know that I feel better, you know, after I've walked for, you know, 45 minutes, like, in the cold. So it's just getting that little part of my mind, even if it's really faint, going, you know what, you will feel better for this, if you can, if you can, obviously you can't all the time and that's fine and you don't need to feel terrible about yourself if you have slip-ups. If you have, um, if I may, if I, I'm going to use a very, very specific um, example here, an anecdote from my own life. Um, okay, so my bike recently broke and I haven't had the, the funds all the time to get it fixed. But what I did was I recently acquired a thing that holds your bike in place um, so it becomes an exercise bike. So mm. if I can't cycle to work... If I'm feeling bad, I will drag the thing into my room. So, you know, and I'll put on an episode of something um, and I will just cycle while I'm watching it. That's 30 minutes of something. So instead of just, you know, doing the doing the depression dance of just white noise while I'm in the fetal position, at least I'm moving, getting my heart rate up and lifting those endorphins. And then I can go and be like depressed, but depressed, but my heart rate's uh, pumping blood the way it should. Yeah, and that, I think that's perfect um, example and analogy for for what people out there that are struggling really need to hear. Because it's not last thing you want to do is feel like going and being amongst people and going down to a gym, and then you have got the self conscious and your body. You got all these other underlying issues that are stopping you from preventing you from going and exercising when you don't want to, especially when you're depressed. Mm. So to be able to just have that self discipline mm. of doing something like that, a little bit of being innovative and just going, well, I'm sitting here and watching the TV. I'm not feeling great. I am going to steam me veggies because I know it's going to help me. Mm. Something so simple. Yeah. It's a one little step, but it's going to make a massive difference. Mm. I'm going to ride the exercise bike instead of lying in the fetal position and watching yeah. the TV. Something so small and mm. you don't understand how how beneficial that's going to be to your overall wellness in the next 24 hours doing things you don't necessarily want to do but you just know that they're going to make a world of difference doesn't mean going and running kilometers after kilometers it might be just doing some push-ups on the ground Mm. it might be splashing your face with water it might be just doing some five minutes of meditation Mm. simple simple things day in day out that are going to contribute to a better tomorrow or clarity in your thinking 
that's literally everyone, not, not just people who are going through mental health no, exactly like, struggles. Right. I mean, that's that's all of us. That's across the board. So you say that a lot of that just comes back to discipline, as you mentioned. Um, no, I think it's my favourite word. <laughs> because Same, I think, and like you said, it's not just those that are mentally ill or having experience in brain health challenges or brain pain, as like, I like to describe it. It's every single person out there should be doing these sort of stuff because we can all be better people, not only to others, but especially to ourselves just little five minute exercises five minute practices two minute practices are great just little things every single day to contribute to us being a better better person not only to ourselves like i said but to others um and that's how the world will continue to turn we just put the time and effort into ourselves that we deserve yeah but also giving that like that five minutes or you know those periods of empathy of Mm. thinking about other people and this is you know down you know back to what we were saying before i mean it is hard, and you need to be disciplined about the way that you sort of acknowledge that we are sharing this space with other people and that we have a collective responsibility, like as a community and a society, to make this place safe and productive um, for everyone in our community, not just, you know, not just us, not just everyone else, because sometimes people think it's an effort to be kind and to be empathetic and mm. to really listen to someone. It's more of an effort not to be. I know. No, that is exactly right. I mean, yeah. I know. I think I think that's the key. Like you know, just I love that word discipline. Like yeah, because that's really makes sense for how I go through the world. Like I need to be very very disciplined about how I go through this. Yeah. Like even if I because if I especially if I'm not feeling great, we have this process at Mindfulness in our Blueprint to Wellness workshop, our early intervention workshop. Through discipline becomes productivity, and people think discipline and doing these things that I do every single day, like gratitude, gratitude meditation, compassion, value alignment, raise my standards, meditation. They go, how do you fit all that in a day? How is that discipline? How does that open up productivity? When I do that stuff these days, 21 days a habit, 90 days a trade, they become so easy. We're 1,440 minutes in a day. I do a five-minute practice of gratitude, five minutes of meditation. We have got so many minutes in the day to be working on ourselves. Through discipline becomes productivity. Productivity becomes freedom. And we all know what happens when we've got freedom. Mm -hmm. Happiness and life satisfaction. Self-worth. I was talking about before. One of our... Well, let's go pick... um, Proactive, not reactive of a morning. It's one of my disciplines. Instead of being reactive to the world, being proactive. Through that, and I'm putting wellness back in my own hands, working on myself, instead of being proactive, I mean reactive to Facebook and social media and all the rest, I'm worried about what's going on in the world. I'm worried about myself. That's my discipline. My productivity from that is that when I go to sleep at night, I'm no longer thinking about the people out there and what they think of me because I've developed that self-worth. That's my productivity. Freedom. Sleep. Now I'm getting sleep because I'm going to bed at night soundly, not worrying about the external sources and people and what they think about me. Equals happiness. I get more sleep, it contributes to my overall wellness. Mm-hmm. And every single discipline that we go through, gratitude, compassion, exercise, nutrition, they're the disciplines. Mm-hmm. From doing those, productivity. From productivity equals freedom. Freedom equals happiness. And that's a simple, simple process. But when you line up all those disciplines, it speaks volumes of, of building that well-being and resilience within ourselves. That brings us to the end of this episode of Youth and Loud. If you felt concerned about anything you've heard tonight, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 22 26 38. Lifeline on 13 11 14. Thanks heaps for listening to the show, and we'll catch you next time on Youth and Loud.